Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. And a special shout out to my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, love you. Uh, Lead on. Lead on, Yoshiko. And... We have 17 countries that listen to the show. I want to thank all of you. Uh, that is so wonderful. And yes, it is Ireland again that is the, has the largest listening audience. I appreciate so much what you're doing. And there must be like disability rights leaders uh, in that country. And please contact me at... Jay Bender at BenderConsult.com so that we can figure out how to get you involved with one of the shows. I mean, this has been like for a year you have been rocking it. So thank you so much. And hi, Mark, our lead sponsor for the past three years. Uh, What a great company they are. What great leadership they have. Uh, as you all know, I own Bender Consulting Services, a company that focuses on the employment of people with disabilities. Without question, they are one of the largest employers of people with disabilities in competitive employment. So thank you again for being our sponsor. But our guest today, David Mann the chair of the Pennsylvania Rehabilitation Council, and Claire Sanita, the young adult representative. So excited to have both of you on the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us on. Excuse, excuse me. So, Claire and David, how about if you begin by telling our listeners how you became advocates for the disability community? We could start with you, David. Okay, great. Uh, So uh, my path to becoming um, a voice for this community started when I uh, had a spinal cord injury as a result of a diving accident about nine days before my 15th birthday. And so as a result of that injury, uh, I am confined to a motorized wheelchair uh, and uh, I have quadriplegia. And despite that, I've been able to, uh, with uh, many blessings and and assistance from family and friends and and programs like vocational rehabilitation and and other groups like McGee Rehabilitation, where I rehabbed in Philadelphia, I was able to go to high school and then college and grad school, and I've been working full-time for the past eight years. And I wanted to give back to the the to the various people and and groups that had made my life possible and and the things I've been able to achieve possible, and so I I started looking into what I could do with vocational rehabilitation, and eventually I found the Pennsylvania Rehab Council. So that that's how I got here. Great. I love it when young people with disabilities pay it forward and become advocates. Uh, that is so awesome. And Claire, what about you? 
Yeah, so my story is a little bit similar to David's. I, too, acquired my disability. I have a spinal cord injury from a gymnastics accident uh, when I was 14, and I'm 27 now. And I kind of started uh, self-advocating for myself unknowingly. I was just speaking up whenever there was an injustice or something that was happening towards me, and I didn't like it. And I think that that's what's really important for people to remember, especially young people. They're like, well, advocacy, like, that's a big, scary word, but it's like, Usually you're doing it all the time anyway, and you don't realize that you're doing it. So I really started um, by self-advocating for myself, which kind of led to advocating on a broader scale, and I um, got tied in with a rehab council through um, some young adult work that I was doing in the Pittsburgh community and found out about the rehab council. So it's really been a great learning experience for me, and I'm happy that I got involved. I have to, I have to ask both of you, uh, David, starting with you. When you found after you had this accident, um, what was your, what was the reaction of friends or people that you knew? Was it different than it was before? I found that there were a range of responses. Um, some some people just didn't know what to do. I think um, I think that the, the spot. The responses very much ranged on how people saw what my future was going to be. There were people in my life who didn't know what a 15-year-old with a spinal cord injury was going to do with his life, and I think that those people really didn't know how to react. But then there were people in my life who who would look at me, and, and I would say, am I going to be okay? Am I going to have a future? And they'd say, yes, you're going to be okay. You're going to have a future. You're going to be able to to do things that other people can do, like to get a job and, and have friends and have family and get married. And, and, and so those, it was those people in my life speaking in that positivity that um, were the people, I think, who made the biggest difference and the people I gra- kind of gravitated towards uh, as I began my journey post-injury. And how about you, Claire? Um, I had, again, a very similar experience to David. I've been very, very fortunate to have such a great support system. Um, I think that it was also, there was a comfort because I was scared. I was 14. I didn't know really much about people with disabilities, and I was scared. And there was some comfort in knowing that, you know, my friends and family were scared too, but we were kind of all going through it together. And, um, yeah, so, of course, it was scary, but as I've become an advocate, which is kind of funny, they've also become advocates along the way. So it, you take this tragic um, situation, and it's kind of become something really beautiful, not just for me, but for my family and friends as well. Right. And, you know, I ask you this because I meet different young people that have had an accident and now have quadriplegia. And when this first happens, of course, it's a shock to anyone and a lot of questions you know, in their mind, but if you can get support and believe in yourself, you can become a disability advocate or just an employee of a company, but you have to remember that disability is just part of who you are and that you can be proud to be part of the disability community, and I think that's exactly what happened with Claire and David. So, David, we want to talk about a few things today, but how about if we start with um, the Vocational Rehabilitation Program? Can you describe that for our listeners? Sure, I can do that. A lot of the work of the Pennsylvania Rehabilitation Council centers around the Vocational Rehabilitation Program. 
the, the Vocational Rehabilitation Program, or VR as it sometimes calls, provides supports and services to people with disabilities who want to work. Although it's funded primarily by the federal government, VR is administered at the state level by state uh, VR agencies. There are about 80 VR agencies across the country. Some states have two, while others have one. In federal, uh, in 2016, just under a million people, 972,000 people were actively receiving vocational rehabilitation services. In Pennsylvania, the Vocational Rehabilitation Unit is known as the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, or OVR. Uh, applying to services for OVR, just like at any other VR agency, is voluntary. Okay, and um, in the United States, this is in every state and was really put together to help uh, people with disabilities gain employment and have support for employment. And you are the chair of the board of the Pennsylvania Rehabilitation Council that overlooks uh, vocational rehabilitation programs and the work they do. Uh, so let's start there. What is PARC? So uh, every vocational rehabilitation program has a state rehabilitation council. And so the Pennsylvania Rehabilitation Council is the Rehabilitation Council, council for the Commonwealth. And the mission of our council is to inform and advise the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, the State Board of Vocational Rehabilitation, the legislator, and the governor on the diverse issues affecting employment of people with disabilities. And the, the council itself is comprised of members representing all different types of uh, stakeholder groups. At least half of the people on the council are people with disabilities. We have representatives who are former or current OVR customers. We have young adult reps, that's, that's Claire. We have people who represent all different types of disabilities, whether they be physical or, or uh, vision or other sensory disabilities. We have representatives from labor. We have representatives from the business community, those who provide services to people with disabilities in the Commonwealth. So it, what I like to think of the council is it's kind of like a chorus. You have all different voices contributing to make one sound to, to work towards our mission of informing all of these various groups about the issues affecting employment for people with disabilities. Okay, so what level of authority do you have, I mean, over what's happening in OVR? That's a good question. We are, we have an advisory role, so we will weigh in on important issues affecting the, voc the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. We don't have direct authority to, to create or change v uh, OVR policy. The other thing that we do uh, in addition to providing advice to OVR is that we have a very strong presence uh, with, legislate with, um, with the government, whether it be people who are working in the executive branch or those in the legislature, and in that we have a very important role of, of educating uh, these individuals on the diverse issues uh, affecting people with disabilities and also uh, stating what our recommendations are for, for paths forward to improve uh, employment 
in the Commonwealth for, for this group. Well, I mean, I just think that's awesome. And congratulations, David, on being the chair. What does that mean to you to be the chair? Uh, it was, it was a, an honor to be elected to be chair. It, um, it, uh, I'll tell you, in the short term, it means a lot more work. Um, but it, it, what I think it, it, the, the advantage is, is to be able to shape and guide the direction the council takes in the past year, as we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. There's been a lot going on with OVR in the past year, a lot of important and critical issues. And to be able to lead the council at this time and to weigh in and to, to be a leading voice and, and, and making suggestions, that's been, um, again, it's been a lot of work, but it's been a real honor. Right. Well, congratulations in that role. I know from Mary Brocker what a great leader you are, so I'm sure that you will uh, do a great job. And Claire, you are the young adult representative, and I saw you have many other roles on the council. So two things. Tell me what it means to you to represent young people with disabilities in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and how did you first get involved in that area? So it really means a lot to me, honestly, because it's really hard being a young adult uh, in general. You know, whether you have a disability or not, you're still trying to figure things out, whether you're going to go to college or what your future is really going to look like or moving out or whatever your uh, goal may be. And for so long, young adults and people with disabilities have um, really almost been looked down on by society uh, just because people don't really know. They don't really know a lot about people with disabilities and they think that young people don't know anything. Um, And they've almost been looked at as undervalued members of society. And so I really appreciate this opportunity, although I'm still young I consider, but my 17-year-old sister would not consider me young at 27. Um, you know, I don't know everything, and I'm really proud to bring my unique perspective to the table uh, at the council because I think so often, you know, you move past the young adult phase in your life and you forget kind of the struggles that you had gone through. So I'm proud to bring those struggles to the table and um, all my friends' struggles, my peers with disabilities who are young adults, all their struggles to the table too. And it's really a two-way street, so I try to, you know, bring our perspective to the council's table, but also I come back and bring what the council has said and the advice that the members of the council have given to me, to my friends, because it's really difficult to navigate life with a disability and to navigate, you know, trying to grow up and trying to become a productive member of society, a productive adult in society with a disability. So I'm really, um, that's the biggest thing that I'm proud of, uh, being the young adult representative. And I got involved, actually, I was um, working with youth with disability, and I was working um, at a conference there, and Josie Badger, who does a lot of work in Pennsylvania, she had said, there's this council I think that you should get involved in, and the rest is kind of history, so I applied, and they said, okay. <laughs> so She is an awesome person, Josie. She really awesome. is. Awesome. She yes. really is. Yeah, she is an awesome person. Yes, she is. You know, when you were talking about some of the issues that your friends go through and what they deal with, you know, would you say employment is like one of the things at the top, uh, transportation, 
you know, housing. Most definitely. Stigma. And I think that a lot of people with, Go ahead. A lot of people with disability are, are scared to work because having a disability is really expensive. And it's kind of hard to try to navigate, like, how do I start working and how do I um, transition from being on benefits to working and how am I even going to get to work if I can't work and afford a car and how I I need all these accommodations at work, how is this going to happen? And I also think, too, there's no guidebook for getting a job as a person with a disability because there are services like OVR and there are so many other services that a lot of people aren't really even aware of. So, um, especially as a young adult, I think that's what's so important too is just word of mouth. And that's, again, why I appreciate the council. I learned so much from the members and I bring it back to Pittsburgh where I live and tell all of my friends, like, here's what's going on. Here's what we can do. And I think that sharing knowledge is really, really powerful. You know what worries me that you said, and it's a fact, it's true, is that there are many people with disabilities that do not believe they could work. You know, they do not believe they would be successful in the world of work. I run into this all the time, and they can't envision the whole thing. You know, the clothing you have to purchase or, you know, how you're going to get there or, uh, I mean, they just have no idea. And that's sad because, you know, we have the highest unemployment of any group in America. Uh, So I really appreciate, Claire, what you're doing, being a role model, uh, you know, and and giving advice to young people. And any young people listening to the show right now, I hope you are listening to what Claire has said because you can work. And without work, you will never, ever, ever be free in this country. You need to work. I always say people with disabilities need paychecks, not pity. So, you know, remember you are someone who counts. You deserve your part in the American dream. Um, Claire, David, I'm sorry. I think it's important. Go ahead. I just want to add one more point. I think it's really important to remember that working is so much more than just a paycheck. It helps give a purpose. And I think that that's what's so important, um, you know, to remember. And we're worthy of that. Oh, I mean, you are right on target there, Claire. I could just have you as the host today. You are right uh, on target because when when you get a job, first of all, it gives you dignity. It gives you self-respect. You know, I always say to people, what's the first question you're asked? And that is, what's your name? What's number two? What do you do? And when you do get a job, in addition to just uh, dignity, respect, and a paycheck, you also have social interaction. You know, you're part of the culture of the company and what's happening and meeting people. And, you know, I could not, you know, I could not agree with you more about that. And by the way, since we're talking about employment, that leads me to a very hot topic right now, David. And that is what's going on with Pennsylvania's OVR in in the closing and the order of selection. What is going on? What is this, this order of selection? Why, you know, OVR is like shutting down for business here in July. So could you explain that to our listeners what's happening? Sure, I can do that. Let me give a little bit of 
overall context about what order of selection is, and then I'll talk about what's happening in the Commonwealth specifically. So when a state vocational rehabilitation agency doesn't have enough resources to serve all eligible applicants, they must prioritize services to applicants with the most significant disabilities. That's actually required by law. And this process of prioritizing services is known as order of selection. So if an agency is in order of selection, all applicants are kind of triaged and they're placed onto a, a, a priority of service category. And each of these categories can either be open or closed. And the bottom line is that if you are uh, assessed and put on to a category that's closed, you're basically put on a wait list for services. So what's happening in Pennsylvania is that OVR does not have enough money to serve everyone throughout the Commonwealth in its uh, most significantly disabled category, which over 90% of people who apply to VR are placed into this category. So they're about to start a wait list for this category. So that means, and if they do this, and it looks like they're going to as of the beginning of July, that means if you apply for VR services in the Commonwealth, you're going to be put on a wait list for services. So that is a really big issue. There's been a lot of studies and evidence to suggest that if you are a person with a disability trying to, to get back to work, or if you're a, a, someone 16 to 24 who's trying to work for the first time, it's important to engage services that, that attach you to the workforce. And now if you're going to apply to OVR, you're going to have to wait to get those services. So this is a really, really big issue. Well, okay, that's terrible. Uh, let's uh, just so you know, I've already had employers ask me about this, uh, and very concerned about you know OVR being a provider. So here's a question I have: You have a disability, uh, and you go, you know, with this impending selection of order, you go to OVR and say, you know, I want to be work with you in order to find employment, what would happen then? I would be put on this waiting list or I, I would have to be evaluated. Like, how would they decide if I am the person with the significant disability? Right. So that's a good question. When you apply to OVR for services, they, whether in their even now or even starting in July 1st, they do uh, an eligibility assessment, okay? And as part of that eligibility assessment, they're going to put you into one of these priority of service categories. Now, again, after July 1st, it really doesn't matter what category you're put into. All the categories in in the Commonwealth are going to be closed. So if you apply after July 1st, and you're assessed to be eligible, you're going to be put on a wait list for services. And until OVR has enough money to pay for services for you, you will remain on that wait list. That's terrible. I, I mean, do you think people know this? I mean, do you think people with disabilities know this? I know companies do not know this because I just met with a major employer. He had no idea. They had no idea. So do you know what they have done to make people aware of this? They 
they've made an OVR has made an announcement. So I believe they've had a public meeting and they've had opportunities for people to provide comment. But this this has actually happened pretty quickly, Joyce. This is something that we just learned about early this spring, and the, and, and we're talking about going into order of selection on July first. I think they're doing it quickly because the, the reason they're doing this again is, is they have a, a pretty significant budget shortfall, and they're just not able to serve people with um, with the money, everyone in a timely way with the money that they have. And, and I agree with you, you know, it, it's, we've been, we as a council have been trying to get the word out, but it, it, it is difficult to do so. And uh, I, it kind of reminds me of those alarms that you see in the hallway, and it says, in case of emergency, break glass and pull. This is an emergency. This, if, if people with disability in the Commonwealth, please make your voice be heard. Reach out to OVR. Reach out to your legislators. Um, we need, this cannot stand. We need to find solutions to get OVR's fiscal house in order so it can start providing services without delay to people with disabilities in the Commonwealth. Oh, I want to talk more about this, but right now it's time for our news break on the half hour with Perry Jude Radisick. Hello, Perry. What do you have for us today? Uh, hi, Joyce. This is the very uh, issue that Advocacy Matters wants to talk about today. Uh, is the OVR order of selection uh, public comment uh, period that ends uh, at uh, later this evening? Uh, and so that is the issue. And so it's great timing that your show uh, has a representatives from the Pennsylvania Rehab Council on and that we are talking about this issue today. So Disability Rights Pennsylvania uh, provided public comment uh, to the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. And we are uh, trying to amplify the voice of the Pennsylvania Rehabilitation Council and other advocacy organizations uh, to tell the Pennsylvania Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, that we oppose the closing of the order of selection, and they don't have to do this and implement a waiting list. They don't have to close the order of selection. And, uh, you know, first, uh, what they should be doing is, is looking internally to see if the decisions that they have made uh, around how they uh, do business are the right ones, and are there ways uh, to certainly streamline their operations? The, the second thing is uh, the state has uh, had some disasters, and I think that there's going to be money available uh, in the reallotment process for Pennsylvania to tap. So we don't know. I mean, they're doing this, and we don't know if there really will be a $20 million budget gap. Uh, so I think this is premature. We don't know if this is really going to be a budget shortfall. And, uh, and the state should step up and implement, uh, step up and fully fund the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation uh, and allocate an additional $20 million. Uh, we don't know if we'll really need the $20 million to fully fund the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, but it's certainly worth it because tax dollars are going to come back to Pennsylvania when people are fully employed, and we we just we just have to uh, make sure that that order of selection stays open and and people have the opportunity uh, to become fully employed. So I want to amplify 
uh, the voices of the Rehab Council and say that we've submitted our comments and others are too. Uh, so, so the Rehab Council is not alone here. And uh, advocacy matters and, uh, and people are speaking up. Um, I have to ask you a question, Perry. When you say, you know, you don't know if it's a reality yet or that it doesn't have to happen, what is the answer when OVR says, yes, it does have to happen, we're out of money? Uh, so uh, I think that there are a couple things. One, we haven't finished the state budget yet. Uh, so it, so that's one reason it doesn't have to happen, because we're not at July 1st yet. We're only in June. A lot can happen in a month. And we have to pass a budget. So OVR could still have its money. Secondly, uh, there could still be money available in the reallotment process for OVR. And the reason we're in this situation is because of uh, the lack of reallotment money and possibly that OVR could better streamline uh, s- uh, some of its work. And so I think we have to continue to push OVR to look inside of its operations and see what they can do better. Well, is this great timing or what? Hey, Perry, if we go to Advocacy Matters, which is the name of our news break. If they go to your website, can they find out more information? Uh, absolutely. I uh, Go to disabilityrightspa.org, and uh, you can find out more information. Uh, but what we need everybody to do right now, it's what the Rehab Council is asking people to do. The most important thing is to go to ovrfeedback at pa.gov and email your comments by 5 p.m. tonight. And just simply tell them you cannot close the order of selection. You must use other methods to find this money, and you must tell the governor to advocate for 20 additional million dollars. Well, okay, we all got to get on that. And, I mean, you know what, Perry, that's terrible. I mean, that is terrible thinking What that would do to people with disabilities in our state, and there are only seven states in this situation, which is so shameful, we have to be included. So I hope you all go to Disability Rights PA and look at that website and make those calls, send those emails. As she told you before, five today, this is urgent. So, Perry, thank you so much. Thank you for that update, and we'll be talking to you next week. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you to your guests. Wow. How about that? Oh, by the way, I didn't know that this was going to... We have a news break on our radio show on the half hour every week, and it's about legislation or you know, different issues going on, voting, voting rights, whatever. I had no idea she was going to talk about this. This is like unbelievable timing. Yes, Joyce, this is, this is, this is really truly emergency, I think, for the disability community in the Commonwealth. And there's one thing that I, I would want to add. I think that in addition to the, the comments that were made, one of the reasons that OVR is in this position is that there was a law passed about five years ago that required it to start 
required OVR to start providing pre-employment transition services and spend at least 15% of OVR's budget on it. But OVR wasn't given any additional money to do that. So I, I think that there was... Um, that instead of trying to figure out how to live within its means, I think that OVR all started relying on, and your, your, your guest mentioned it, these reallocations, these are extra monies from other VR agencies that were not claimed. And they started using this to fill the budget gap, but this is a kind of an unreliable source of funding. So I think that one of the things that OVR really needs to do in the next months ahead is kind of think about how they can live consistently within the, the, the money that they know is coming in. I think that that's critical to avoid this in the future and to get, the, to get OVR out of order of selection for this uh, MSD category. You know, when, um, when Perry said about that call by five o'clock, will, if, if that doesn't change anything, I mean, then what? You know, is there still time after this, or what's your opinion about that? You know, opinions vary, so I don't want to say that my opinion is the only one here, but I think that it... I think that it's highly likely that that the agency is going to go into order of selection, just because they again it, it's they have a twenty million dollar shortfall that they need to somehow um, some somehow fill, and it would be great if in the eleventh hour the, the the state or reallocation or something came through and filled in this this budget gap, but but. If that doesn't happen, I think that the agency will enter order of selection. But again, I think it's really important that that the agency start working towards uh, figuring out how they can live within their means so they can get out of order of selection as quickly as possible. Because this this um, this should not be a, a long term or per- permanent solution. We really need to need to be able to del- to deliver timely services to people with disabilities in the Commonwealth. Yeah. Boy, that is so true. That is, you know what worries me, David and Claire? There hasn't been enough of an outcry by a lot of people because what makes a change is when constituents, just as Perry suggested, when constituents constituents get on board and, you know, make their voice heard, uh, a lot of people... And if not, it won't make a difference. That's what worries me. You know, is the disability community at large, is there a massive, you know, explosion of people calling all the legislators and the secretary of labor and the governor or businesses doing that? That is what worries me. Because if not, folks, let me just tell you, it will make no difference. You know, if you don't get on that phone right now, when I, whenever you get off the show or get off the show right now and make the call, I am telling you, it will not have an impact where you can say, oh my goodness, you know, the whole state of Pennsylvania is all up in arms, the whole disability community. It won't happen. It won't happen. And I know, Claire, that you work a lot with legislators on issues like this. You know, how, how have you seen that moving forward? Right. Well, so I think that you hit 
the point right on earlier when you said about businesses not knowing. I think that potential customers also don't know and um, that this is happening. And it all has happened so fast, as David has mentioned before. Um, so I serve on the legislative committee as well. And we, on our last legislative visit in May, we were educating legislators about the order of selection closing. And again, they also, some of them did not know or they had just heard about it. Um, and that was close to the that was in May, so that was near the 30 days public comment time. Um, and again, just to stress, today at 5 o'clock is the cutoff for the 30 days of public comment. So, but so that's what we've been doing with legislators. We've been educating them about what OVR does and why it's so important and how the order of selection closing will truly be, be detrimental for Pennsylvanians with disabilities. Um, in addition, we also at our full council meeting had discussions, um, in-depth discuss- discussions with the acting executive director, Ryan Hyde, about um, the order of selection and just trying to see if there's any possible solution. So this is really um, on the forefront of the council's, council's agenda right now. Yes, I'm sorry to tell everyone, but um, I have now talked to several businesses and they said, what? Why didn't someone tell me about this? I didn't know about that. This is as recently as today. So there's going to be a big shock when people are calling saying, hey, refer me, people with whatever skills. Or when people go and say, you know, I have a disability, I need assistance, I need support, or I'm wanting to go to school. There's going to be a big shock. There is. That's when you're going to hear about it. That's when you're going to hear about it or see an article about it in the Post-Gazette is when people start realizing that it has happened because I don't think they realize it. I don't. I think there's going to be a big, uh, very big surprise when that happens. Don't you think also, David? That that will be a surprise. Yeah. When yeah when when they when this pipeline of, of people with disabilities is not available for jobs and and yeah no I agree with you that that it will be a surprise. Um, I think we're doing our best to get get the word out, but I think that people with disabilities are a an essential part of the workforce, but they are very they're also probably one of the most underappreciated aspects of the workforce. And I think when, when that pipeline is not there and that people with disabilities are not uh, able to work, especially in this labor market, which is such a tight labor market, um, that, that's going to be an issue. Yeah, boy. Yes, that is why 70% of people with disabilities are still not counted in the workforce today with double the unemployment rate. So you're right the impact on people with disabilities. It's already terrible. Now, this just adds to that whole thing that uh, is going on. And Claire, when you talk to legislators, I mean, did you see any reaction about this? Did you see people alarmed about this? What did you see? Yeah, so they were also alarmed, uh, as alarmed as we are, which was... um, you know, encouraging to hear that they were on our side, that they weren't just like, oh, whatever, you know, we don't need people with disabilities working. They were like, yes, we need people with disabilities working. Um, And they were scrambling to help us try to brainstorm solutions. And um, their staffers were trying to help us figure out what we can do to try to fix this problem and what they can do and how they can best serve us. So that was really encouraging, encouraging from the legislative side.
So, David, I'm looking at some numbers here before I'm talking to you. I'm looking at some data. And my question is, prior, you know, 10% of the state of Pennsylvania are people with disabilities. And prior to this uh, order of selection, I wonder if you could tell me what you think are some of the biggest issues people with disabilities face when looking for employment. Because I'm As I looked at these other figures, you know, Allegheny County constantly has thousands of jobs open that they'll say they can't fill. And I'll say, why can't you when there is this untapped labor pool? So uh, what what are your thoughts about that? What what do you think are some of the main issues? I think that I'll look, I'm going to provide the answer thinking about it in two groups. First, I'll focus on those are kind of age 16 to 24. We call this group transition age youth. And I think it goes back to something you and Claire were saying earlier is that people in this group need to think employment first. They need to think that they are able uh, to gain the skills and knowledge necessary and have the capability to go out there and join the workforce. And they not only need to to think that, but then they need to go out and actually start making attempts to work or or applying to a program like vocational rehabilitation that's going to help them uh, acquire the skills that they need to go out into the workforce. For, For what the best predictor that someone's going to work in the future is that someone has worked in the past. So the idea that transition age youth go out there and and get, and work and try to get involved in work early I think is a really important idea and then for those people who experience disability onset later on in life I think the key message is is to try and do their best to remain ta- attached to the workforce or if they get separated from the workforce if they're too wor- sick to work that they try their best to get back quickly. There's uh, emerging evidence out there that pe- that the longer someone is separated from the workforce that because of a disability, the less likely likely they are to ever go back into the workforce. So, and that's again, uh, even for these older workers, that's where vocational rehabilitation comes in. If you're separated from the workforce and you want to receive services that ha- that can help you get back to your job. Vocational rehabilitation is there for you, and that's also why this order of selection issue is so critical, because in the Commonwealth, people who are applying to VR, even if they're found eligible, are now going to have to wait for services, and that keeps them detached from the the labor force even longer. So, um, again, it it just highlights why this order of selection issue is, is so important. Yes, and that is why, businesses, you should offer apprenticeships, internships, whatever it is, paid in the summer or throughout the year to young people with disabilities because uh, what David just said is so true. You know, the best predictor is already having work experience. And actually, since we're talking about students with disabilities, uh, Claire, as a young adult with a disability, what advice do you have for students with disabilities who are trying to set goals for long-term competitive employment? The biggest advice that I could give is just to be persistent and be patient 
and make sure you're talking to others, that you're sharing your goals with others and you're bouncing ideas off of each other. There are so many resources available for help and it can be really overwhelming and sometimes even discouraging working towards employment as a person with a disability, but don't give up. Um, you know, we face so many barriers that able-bodied people don't face, but that doesn't mean that we're not worthy and that we're not valuable of working and that, uh, being productive members of society. So. Yeah, and how about when you're bullied? Because a lot of kids uh, through, uh, through w- w- kids with disabilities are bullied more than any other group. And Bender Leadership Academy is a not-for-profit I started focusing on getting high school students with disabilities ready for the world of work and learning how to deal with bullying. And you know cyberspace, Facebook, uh, Instagram, all of this is just horrific when it comes to bullying. Do you have any advice about that? Yeah, so I think it's really tough, um, you know, out there. Even me, like I said, you know, I'm 27, and when I get onto social media, you get into this phase of, oh, their life is so great, and their life is this, their life is that. And it's just not the case, and it's really difficult, too, when you have people cyberbullying you. And I think it's so important, whether you are a student or an adult or whatever, just to take time for yourself and to really spend, you know, time on yourself and focusing on what do I like about me? What can, what is good about me? And taking time for self-care for yourself and try not to let others bog you down with their negativity. I know it's so much easier than said, but you'll get through this. Whatever is going on, you'll get through it and know who you are as a person and what you have to offer. Amen. And what, I agree with you. And what of one other thing I'd like to add quickly also, and it kind of goes back to something we said earlier at the beginning of the show, is be very uh, intentional about who you let speak into your life. Try to fill your life with people, friends, and family who are speaking positive words into your life, words of encouragement, who believe in you and what you are capable of. Yes, I have a saying about that. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And how true that is. I agree with you. David, states that are interested in engaging in more effective, innovative practices to deliver VR services, what, what advice do you have for those states? So my day job is being a senior researcher at Mathematica Policy Research, where I study the employment and benefit receipt of people with disabilities. So my day job is to think about issues like this. One of the things I study is a vocational rehabilitation program. And I just want to quickly share three things to your question. I think the first thing that state agencies should be doing is, is continue to provide work-based learning experiences to transition-age youth. And it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, that the best predictor of, of, past work, of future work is past work. And so there's, a, there's a, a growing evidence basis to see the effect, what the effects are of taking transition-age youth, taking people 16 to 24, and to put them into the workforce and give them experiences like apprenticeships or internships or paid or unpaid work experiences so they can learn what it's like to be out in the workforce, so they can get employment into their, into their minds and, and, and understand that, that this is something that they can do and, and should be expected to, to go on to do. There's also, and there's a lot of, of studies out there 
right now that are in the field trying to measure the impacts of work-based learning experiences on the outcomes of transition age youth. Something else, the second thing that's worth highlighting is the importance of intensity of services. There's been a lot of evaluations to see what works for transition age youth and the few things that have seen the work, the, the services that have been provided are usually very intensive services. So you're getting to these youth early, you're providing them with a, a whole set of comprehensive services to help them overcome their employment barriers and transition into the workforce. So uh, it's important to invest in, in in these youth and give them the tools that they need to be able to to succeed in the adult labor force. Because if they do succeed in the adult labor force, not only are they going to be able to support themselves and have a uh, a life uh, that that's full of work, which I think is, is a positive thing. It's also something that benefits, uh, and it, so that benefits the individual. It also benefits society as a whole because then these people aren't spending a, a lifetime receiving benefits from programs like SSI or SSDI, and and those supports are often critical for people, but they're also they also, they're not very, um, some people would say that they're relatively meager benefits. Like in Pennsylvania, the SSI cash benefit is $771 a month right now for uh, a single person. So it, it's, it's hard to live on $771 a month. So work is a very important thing. And so the third point that I would want to make is that there are some new models out there of delivering services to individuals, things like progressive employment, which was pioneered in Vermont and is rolled out in five or six states, some, some, pioneer, some, some kind of innovative service delivery models out there that I think that other VR agencies should be trying to learn about and think about whether they want to incorporate it into their, uh, into their program. We did a, an analysis on progressive employment uh, in tw- late 2018 and found some evidence that it's a promising practice. So I think that VR agencies should be learning about these innovative models and consider adopting them at, in their states. Oh, those are great ideas and great suggestions, and I appreciate you sharing that. And I just want to say to everyone, remember, tell everyone you know, go to Apple or Spotify, and you can get this podcast. Share it with everyone, because there's great information on the show today. Um, So, Claire, quick question for you. Who is your role model? (laughs) This is such a tough question. I, I really can't choose. And every answer that I came up with, it was such a corny answer. And I really think that I have to go with, I encounter so many people in my life that are role models. And, you know, we go back to how we were saying before, be intentional with who you choose to have in your life. And I really make a point to each person in my life to find a quality that I admire about them. And I use that and it, it inspires me truly. So I really would say my role models are really everyone in my life. Um, and I would encourage, you know, young people with disabilities or anyone listening to this right now, if you're struggling, look at the people around you and really look at their personality and find a quality that you admire in them because really everyone has such great qualities and sometimes it can be masked or whatever and use that to as a role model for yourself. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I know that's not a good answer, but... That was no, a yes, question. it is. I, yes, it is. And I, I think it's those. good advice. Um, and Claire, while I have you on here, uh, over, you know, you're so young. 
but in your young life, what what are you the proudest of? What what accomplishment are you the proudest of? I think that I would have to say, so I, um, you know, I'm a quadriplegic and I decided I'm going to go to college in Boston so that I could go to this wellness center for people living with paralysis. And I decided to move 600 miles away from home where I didn't know a single soul. And looking back, I was like, that was really crazy. I can't believe that I did that and that my parents did that. I always joke. My parents are listening now. They don't think this is a funny joke, but like they really didn't love me that they let me go. But that's what I think is the biggest thing that, you know, that I'm the most proud of is that that's where I grew and that's where I became who I am as a person was outside of my comfort zone, away from mom and dad where I didn't know anybody because kind of going back to like, it is totally socially acceptable as a person with a disability to, you know, live with mom and dad forever and not have a job and not do whatever. No one's going to be like, why don't you have a job or why don't you whatever? Because society has so often seen that people with disabilities like aren't worthy of working or aren't whatever. Um, so really going outside of my comfort zone and moving so far away where I didn't know anybody is what has made me who I am and has made me the most proud. So I encourage everyone to do something that scares them. Oh, that's good. I like that. David, I cannot believe that we're almost at the end of the show, but could you quickly tell us what you feel is your greatest accomplishment? Uh, I think the thing that I, 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 I'm most grateful for is just the opportunity to, to live out what I call a normal life, to, to be able to you know, have a, a, a beautiful wife and a beautiful son, and I have a job that I find really uh, in, enriches enriches my life and is fulfilling and and just opportunities to serve out in the community. Um, it, it's it, there. There were a lot of hurdles and barriers to overcome to be able to get to this point, but um, I, I'm very blessed to to be at this point and very and very thankful that I have these opportunities. Well, I'll tell you what, I have enjoyed having both of you on the show today, but we're coming to the end of the show, and we end every show with a quote, and today it is, you'll never find a better sparring partner than adversity. And with that, remember everyone, get on the phone, get on your laptop, get on your smartphone, contact in Pennsylvania, the the uh, senators, the uh, Department of Labor, everyone related to OVR saying we can't have this order of selection happen. We can't have this happen. And with that, this is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week with Karen Hanlon. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.